If you missed any portion again of the teachings, they're available in the media room this morning. We're looking at Ephesians chapter six, beginning in verse 13, it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have done and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I'm going to read verses 16 and 17 also. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Last time we looked at the warrior's adversary. Satan and all of his hosts. Now we look at the warriors army. Remember last week, our enemy. This week, we look at our equipment in verse 13. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Therefore, Paul writes, in light of all that has been said, remember last week when we looked at verse 10 and verse 11 and verse 12, he he's saying in light of what I've already told you, we have a supernatural foe. It's the devil in verse 12. We have a personal struggle and the personal struggle is on an ongoing basis. Paul repeats the admonition from verse 11. We take up the whole armor of God. Every piece of equipment is crucial, critical, vital. We take up the whole army and remember what the armor and remember what we learned last week. We put it on and we keep it on. This is a type of a garment that never comes off. It's not like the baseball player or even the police officer. We put it on and we keep it on. We take up the whole armor of God for the express purpose, he writes, in order to be able to stand. And he says, stand in the evil day. And by the way, every day is an evil day. After the fall, every day since Adam and Eve disobeyed in a garden and rebelled against God, created a circumstance of evil. The evil day can refer to today. Remember what we already saw in the book of Ephesians chapter five, verse 16, where it says redeeming the time because the days are evil The day can refer to a day when the avalanche of trial or the terrible temptation overwhelms us. It can certainly refer to the day of unusual trial. It can refer to the day of unusual testing. It can refer to a day of of indescribable evil. For some of you, that day is now. Your marriage has never been in more jeopardy. Your circumstances of life have never been more shaky. Your preoccupation with wickedness and evil has has never been so terrible. The onslaught of temptation has never been so bad. But we have to stand. 
And we will stand. Because we're complete in Christ. Remember, every day we'll have the taint or the stain of sin until the evil one is cast into the pit. We resist when we put on our armor and we resist when we stand. When Martin Luther stood before the Diet of Worms, he was accused of heresy. He was condemned for declaring that men are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Luther declared, and I quote, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise, unquote. There came a time of testing and trial when he had to stand in the truth. He had to stand in a righteousness, not his own, not a foreign righteousness, but rather a righteousness that was only found in Christ. And he had to stand in the peace of God. Every believer who is faithful will do exactly that. I'm old enough in the Lord to have watched many of my contemporaries fall by the wayside. There are so many people who are living a life of rebellion and disobedience. Instead of walking with God, they've walked away from God. And I've got to tell you something, that the trial is going to come upon you. Uh, You need to understand something and remember, Paul sits chained to a Roman guard. You see, for Paul, he is in prison. He is chained next to a Roman guard. His life, he doesn't get to watch CNN. He doesn't, get, he doesn't have cable. He doesn't have a vast library of books. He doesn't get to come and go as he pleases. He's chained to a Roman soldier. And as he's chained to the Roman soldier, you know what? He sees his helmet and he sees the plume made of, of horsehair. And by the way, in the Roman world of the first century, a Roman soldier's plume would have been dyed red it would have been dyed purple it would have been dyed yellow there would have been different colors to represent the rank of the roman soldier he sits there minute after minute and hour after hour and day after day and he starts counting the horse's hairs on the top of his plume just like you i'm in church again 45 minutes i don't know if i can stand 45 more minutes of gino You begin to look at the person's head in front of you. You begin to count the hair on their head. You look at the lights and the ceiling. You you wish there was a ceiling so that you could count the tiles. You wish you could do anything other than have to listen to this sermon. But then you do. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. His deprivation, his loss becomes your advantage. He creates a metaphor out of his pain and out of his circumstances and out of his deprivation for you. He gets excited as he begins to think all that Christ has done in the life of the believer. You've got to remember something that the Roman soldier prided themselves on their devotion and their duty. They were filled with pride and discipline. They were a formidable and fierce foe. The Roman soldier and the Roman army created fear wherever they went. Imagine, I know some of you have seen 
movies and television where you have a SWAT team and they come in with their helmet and they come in with their body armor and they come in with automatic weapons in perfect unison, whether it's a a group of officers or a group of soldiers, there's nothing more fierce and there's nothing more awesome than a well-trained army. And that's exactly what Paul is dealing with. Imagine a nation of Bronco fans devoted to the team, making every sacrifice for the team, willing to travel for the team, willing to pay any price for the team, willing to face any enemy. And every conflict, every fight could result in death. Eugene Peterson captures the flavor of this passage. He writes, so take everything, take everything the master has set out for you. Well-made weapons of the best materials, put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget in a couple of hours. This is for keeps a life and death fight to the finish Against the devil and his angels, be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon that God has issued so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation. These have to be more than words. Learn how to apply them. You're going to need them every day of your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. You might think. This is all religious hyperbole. This is exaggeration. There's no devil. There's no war. There's no conflict. You Christians, you're fighting a make-believe war with a make-believe enemy. And you're carrying it into the real world. You couldn't be more wrong. You couldn't be more mistaken. The New Testament teaches that our enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion and he goes to and fro throughout the earth seeking whom he may devour. He wants to eat you for lunch. Satan is waging an invisible war in the heavenlies. Here's his plan to put distance between you and God. To destroy your life and to populate hell. Now Paul draws our attention to our battle gear, our equipment. God has designed protection against Satan's attack. And he's created a very dangerous weapon for our offense. A device so devastating against darkness. An instrument so powerful against lies. That every lie and all lies and every darkness and all darkness in the universe cannot stand up to it. It's the word of God. Satan looks for the unguarded Christian and then he looks for when they are most vulnerable and when they are most open to attack. Satan usually doesn't land a lethal or a mortal blow without first landing a crippling or disabling blow. This is why God's provided for us a complete set of equipment to deal with the devil. Now, remember, Roman soldiers wore other essentials during war. One item that they wore were on their shins. They were called greaves. These were protective shin guards, almost like a goalie on a hockey team would have. But Paul will focus on six essential items. The soldier's belt, 
the soldier's breastplate, the soldier's sandals, the soldier's shield, the soldier's helmet and the soldier's sword. Paul will add a non-clothing item, which we're going to look at later on at a later time prayer. But as we peek into the armory today, we're going to look at the belt, the breastplate and the sandals. Or we might say truth, righteousness, peace. Next week, faith, salvation, and the offensive weapon of the well-equipped saint, the sword of the Spirit. Look at verse 14 again. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Remember what I said to you. He is in prison. He's under house arrest. He's with a Roman guard. Every minute, every moment of every day, the guards are coming in. The guards are coming out. And when a Roman soldier put on his equipment, the first thing that the Roman soldier would put on was the girdle or the belt that held everything into place. And by the way, this was a gigantic belt that was at least six inches wide. The rest of the equipment was meaningless unless there was a secure position to put on the belt. Think of a weightlifter's belt that is cinched and that is large and that would have protect the lower abdomen. The belt was made of strong leather and then attached to this leather belt was an apron. And the apron hung in front of the Roman soldier's groin and lower abdomen. And there were small brass plates that were attached to the apron. And these brass plates were attached in order to provide protection. You can imagine this piece of equipment was close to the body and it protected some of the most sensitive and vulnerable parts of the body. The point that Paul is making is that the truth is a belt which keeps everything in place. Now think about what this man is doing as he sits chained to the Roman soldier. He draws in his own mind a spiritual metaphor or analogy as he sees the soldier cinch the belt that is around his waist. He thinks to himself, how like the Christian for us, truth is our belt. Everything that we have and everything that we do is held together by the truth. John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus said, however, when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you about things to come. Christianity, listen carefully. Christianity is meaningless unless it's true. Christianity is meaningless unless the Bible is true and the story of the gospel is true in real life. It corresponds with reality. This isn't some metaphysical mysticism. This isn't some supernatural wishful thinking. A real God invaded time and space in the person of Jesus Christ, a real person, Jesus, was born of a real virgin, entered into time and space and lived a perfect life and did extraordinary things and rose from the dead. 
Is Jesus really the Lord? Is the Bible really true? Can truth be known? Is the gospel rooted and grounded in truth that can be known and understood? Because think about it. If the truth can't be known and if the truth can't be understood and if the truth remains remarkably unclear, then what good is it? Remember what I've already told you, that truth has two characteristics. It is immutable. That means it can never, ever change. And it is incorrigible. That means it's not subject to perfection. Truth will always be true. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, the writer of Hebrews says, They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will never fail. The writer of Hebrews contrasts that which will change, and that which will deteriorate, and that which will go away. But there are three things that will never go away. God the Father will never go away. God the Son will never go away. God the Holy Spirit will never go away. And there is a fourth thing. All that they say and that they do. God's word is unchanging. In 2 Samuel chapter 22 verse 31. It says. As for God. His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust him. In John chapter 8, verse 32, remember Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know what brought you into bondage. It was deceit and lies. Every horrible, wicked, terrible thing that has ever happened to you and will ever happen to you finds its origin In the belief that there is life apart from God, that there is forgiveness apart from God, that there is joy apart from God, that there is peace apart from God. In John chapter 17, verse 17, as Jesus is praying in his high priestly prayer, he says, sanctify them or set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. It can't be a lie if it's true. Jesus Christ, it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, is the same yesterday. Today and forever, he isn't at the whim and the will of mankind. Without truth, we are helpless and vulnerable. We cannot stand. Without truth, we cannot face our enemy. If truth is relative, if truth is subjective, if truth is unknowable, if truth is uncertain, if truth is unclear, then we might as well close our Bibles, get up out of our seat, and walk out of the building. And when we lie, we embrace those things that aren't true. You know what we do? We take our enemy's weapon. Think about it. When we lie, we throw our weapon into the dirt and we take up his weapon. Lies are like hand grenades with the pin pulled, ready to explode in your hand. Satan is the father of lies and the master of deception. So that when you lie, or when I lie, we take off our belt and we throw it into the dirt and we leave ourselves completely exposed. 
What officer in his right mind or her right mind, what soldier in his right mind would take off their belt and throw it into the dirt when they're confronted with their enemy? We drop our sword and you cannot wield the sword of of truth from the scabbard of deception. So those who manage to stand firm are those who know the truth and love the truth and speak the truth. According to Martin Luther's biographers, he memorized a great deal of the New Testament in Latin. John Wesley stood against the religious establishment in England, and he changed the course of history in Western civilization. John Wesley rode tens of thousands of miles and then hundreds of thousands of miles on horseback. And you know what he did while he was riding on horseback? He memorized the entire Greek New Testament. You see, this is why it's important for you to open up your Bible. This is why we give such importance to learning the word of God and memorizing the word of God and exposing yourself to the word of God and inundating yourself with the word of God. Effective soldiers are bound to the truth and those who are bound by truth, objective truth, can in spiritual warfare live out the truth in their lives. Those who traffic in the truth, who are bound by the truth in their character and in their conduct can stand in the day of darkness and they can stand and fight. You need to know the truth about your marriage. You need to know the truth about your heart. You need to know the truth about the circumstances of why God has placed you on the planet Earth. You need to know the truth that you were designed for friendship and fellowship with God. Because in the day of darkness, in the day of trial, in the day of terror, in the day of pain, here's the word that's going to come to you. Your life is meaningless. Your religion is meaningless. Jesus is meaningless. And all you're left with is the hopeless delusion that things may matter, but nothing could be further from the truth. Have you noticed that the truth doesn't come easy to the human race? We are born addicted to lies. Consider the following rejection notice sent to a British author by a Chinese publishing company. They write, we have read your manuscript with boundless delight. If we were to publish your paper, it would be impossible for us to publish any work of a lower standard. And as it is unthinkable that in the next thousand years we shall see its equal, we are, to our regret, compelled to return your divine composition and beg you a thousand times to overlook our short sight and timidity. Kind of makes you glad to be rejected. Chuck Colson, in his book, Who Speaks for God, makes a compelling case for those who would substitute words and their meanings in order to excuse immoral belief and wicked behavior. He writes, and I quote, the inability to make a moral distinction is the aids of the intellectuals an acquired immune deficiency syndrome. Moral blindness of this caliber requires practice. It has to be learned in a culture infected with moral aids. Words lose all meaning or they are manipulated to obscure their meaning. Thus, taxes become revenue assessment enhancements. Perversion is gay. 
Murder of unborn children is freedom of choice. Marxism in the church is called liberation theology. These are all good words. In the Nazi era, the final solution had a nice ring to it also. And everyone just nods unquestioningly. But when words lose their meaning, it is nearly impossible for the word of God to be received. If sin and repentance mean nothing, then God's grace is irrelevant. Our preaching falls on deaf ears. The moral deafness leads to disaster. The scriptures tell us it was when people accepted King Ahab's gross evils as trivial that fearsome judgment befell the ancient people of Israel, unquote. That's good. The same is true today. Many of our nation's leaders and even church leaders have fallen because of lies. Television and radio have institutionalized deceit. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Because we're members of one another. Those who continue in lies are spiritually vulnerable and impotent. And think about it, when a person is committed to lying, when that is their way of life and their manner of life, the only thing you can do is just confront them. And if they refuse to repent, all you can do is pray for them. We have to fill ourselves with the word of God. We have to walk in the truth. And look at the breastplate of righteousness. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is the covering of the front of the vital organs. The Roman soldier had a breastplate that was made of metal, of interlocking chain. Sometimes it was made of leather. And the typical breastplate covered both the front of the Roman soldier and the back of the, sol- of the soldier. There are those who would say, hey, it only covered the front. You couldn't be more wrong. The Roman soldier had what you and I might call um, like a a bulletproof vest that a a police officer would wear. And when when a police officer puts on the bulletproof vest, it's made of Kevlar and it protects the front and it protects the back. And the purpose of the breastplate was to protect the soldier's vital organs. If a soldier failed to wear his breastplate, an arrow could easily reach his chest, pierce his heart, pierce his lung, a spear thrust became a fatal wound. In Isaiah chapter 59, the Lord puts on righteousness as a breastplate, it says. He goes into battle and he fights against injustice and corruption and he restores peace in the land. For a human being, the most vital organ is the heart. And so as Paul looks at the breastplate of the soldier, he's reminded of the Christian's heart. He thinks to himself, righteousness guards our hearts. And remember in the New Testament what righteousness means. Righteousness is a word that describes having a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Righteousness is a word that means right Standing before God. Righteousness comes from Christ. 
Righteousness comes by grace through faith and trust in Jesus and not through good works or merit. In Titus chapter 3 verse 5, Paul writes, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 9, Paul writes, To be found in Him, that is, to be found in Jesus, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which has come from God by faith. In other words, your righteousness doesn't come because you go to church on Sunday. Your righteousness doesn't come because you open up your Bible. Your righteousness doesn't come because you pray with your wife and your family. Your righteousness doesn't come because you read lots of books. Because you go out and you witness. Your righteousness comes because you have full faith and confidence in Christ. Paul's point is that Jesus is your body armor. And remember what I said, you put on the armor. You put it on and you never take it off. The right standing with God is received by faith. When you have this righteousness, you show it by a righteous character and a devout and holy life. In other words, because you are made right with God by Christ... You have the freedom to think right thoughts and speak right words and live the right kind of life. I remember hearing a story about Billy Graham. Billy Graham, this is at a time when Gerald Ford was president. There was a very famous golfer and he was invited to a foursome with then President Gerald Ford and Billy Graham and Jack Nicholas. And he decided to take him up on the invitation. He'd played golf with Jack Nicholas several times. And when he was done playing his round of golf, a friend said to him, what was it like to play golf with Billy Graham and, and the president? And the man said, that Billy Graham, he's always trying to stuff his religion down my throat. I've had it with these religious people always trying to convert me, always trying to stuff their religion down my throat. The guy goes, he was pretty hard on you out there. Billy Graham, what, what did he say to you? And he goes, he didn't say anything. <laughs> he didn't say a word about God. He didn't mention the Bible. He didn't quote a single scripture. He goes, I just had a really bad day. You know what? Sometimes you're just showing up. With that silly little smile of yours and that little Bible in your hand. And it drives your family crazy. It makes them nuts. Our enemy, whom John calls the accuser, loves to sling his arrows at the heart of our faith. Trying to convince us that God can't bridge the gap between our sins those sins which have been created and come back on us and we find ourselves in sin's hopeless grip. But when we stand firm in the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ and that Jesus has declared us righteous and that Jesus empowers us to live holy lives. You know what happens? The enemy begins to slink and retreat. Do you understand what's happening? 
as he describes the spiritual warfare, he says, this is what you have. You have the truth on your side. You have the righteousness of Jesus Christ as your body armor. And look how he ends it. The shoes of the gospel of peace. Look what it says in verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. By the way, the sandals were a sign of readiness, of preparation, of willingness to march. When the Roman soldier put on his sandals, it was an open-toed boot that was laced up all the way up his calf. They were like track cleats or golf shoes, which you could dig in. They had spikes and nails that would make them firm to the ground. They were like, like I said, track cleats or golf shoes. These were not very good shoes for charging forward or for running away. In fact, Josephus tells of a centurion who, because he was running after his enemies while wearing shoes thickly studded with sharp nails, that he slipped and that he fell on his back on a stone pavement from which he was duly dispatched. Roman soldiers spent much of their careers marching, preparing to go to the next place. And this required sturdy, sturdy shoes, even before the Roman era. If you broke a sandal or you broke a shoe, it was a metaphor for weakness or for defeat. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 27, it says this, No one will be weary or stumble among them. No one will slumber or sleep, nor will the belt on their loins be loosed, nor the strap of their sandals broken, whose arrows are sharp and their bows are bent. Their horses' hooves will seem like flint and the wheels like a whirlwind. becomes a metaphor for preparation of battle. By the way, the Greek word for preparation... Or readiness can also be translated a prepared foundation. The idea being a firm foundation. It was Romans who built Roman roads. And what they would do is they would remove dirt and then they would place stones on a path with pitch. And then they would cover it with more stones and more dirt. And then they would lay stones on top of that. Do you realize that 2,000 years later Roman roads still exist? The idea being that Paul is making, we are ready to march on life's road. There is a firm highway, a path for marching. We're ready to go wherever life leads. For what purpose? To bear witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lehman Strauss writes, The soldier's shoes are not the dancing slippers of this world or the lounging slippers of the slothful. Say that fast three times. But the Christian warrior who knows Christ and wants to make him known. Do you remember that dumb movie? Um, Forrest Gump movie. Forrest Gump, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a scene in the movie where Lieutenant Dan, played by Gary Sinise, he's such a brilliant actor. He's introduced to Forrest and he's talking about the soldier's equipment. And there's a scene in the movie where uh, Forrest, played by Tom Hanks, Gary Sinise says, Now you need these things in order to be a successful soldier. You've got to keep your feet dry. You've got to have a good pair of shoes. 
And that's exactly right. The the Christian is prepared for peace, the peace of God, the peace which passes all understanding. Remember, the world is hurt. The world is lost. The world is alone. The world is desperate for a savior. The gospel of peace is the good news that human beings can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You have family and you have friends. And they, they hate their life. They live in constant drama and constant turmoil. Do you remember before you got saved? Before you became a Christian, you didn't care about God. and You didn't care about God's plans. You talked about God. You'd talk about the Bible. You'd talk about religious things. But you didn't really care about God. And you didn't really care about the plan of God. And then he came into your life. He saved you. He forgave your sins. He brought you into newness of life and friendship and fellowship with him. He gave you peace. You could go to sleep at night knowing that you're not going to go to hell. But that you're going to go to heaven. That's what he's talking about. The peace of God. We have peace with God and we have the peace of God. There's an ancient proverb about the cobbler's children who have no shoes. We have peace with God. You know, the meaning. If anyone should have shoes, a cobbler's children, a person who makes shoes, their children should have shoes. And if you have peace with God and that you have the peace of God then you of all people you of all people should know joy you shouldn't have to live in isolation and depression you have you shouldn't have to live in estrangement Some Christians don't have the peace of God because they pushed God's peace away through rebellion or sin or disobedience or neglect. They push God away. How can you hope to stand in the day of battle if you're not experiencing the peace of God right now? There's few things that are worse for a soldier than to bolt in battle. Do you know what a police officer and a soldier needs to know? They need to know. They need to know that their partner will stand with them, that their partner will be with them, that their partner will provide protection for them. And you must be able to stand with each other in the fight. In a very real sense, I think you know something. Jesus is our armor. I think you understand the metaphor. The whole armor is Jesus Christ. Think about it. The Lord Jesus is the truth. Remember he said in in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. What better word would describe Jesus than he is our righteousness? That's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul earlier in the letter refers to Jesus as our peace. If you just turn a couple of pages back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace. I think you understand it. The, the spiritual armor isn't some 
program. It isn't a religious boot camp that you go to the moment that you receive Christ as your savior. He is the truth and all the truth that you will need. He is your righteousness and all of the righteousness that you will ever need. He is your peace and all of the peace that you will ever need. Elsewhere, Paul told the Romans to wake up, to cast off sin and put on the armor of light in Romans chapter 13. Perhaps you remember the tragic tale of a great king. His name was David. And when he took off his armor and he went home, that's when he was in the greatest danger of his life. Never, no, never, no, never take Jesus off. Of your thinking. He is your truth. He is your righteousness. He is your peace. We are never, we are never, we are never far from Satan's devices. Don't, I repeat, don't venture out alone. Don't try to live your life apart from Christ. Be on your guard against the following quickly. Number one, when you begin to doubt God's love, When you begin to doubt God's goodness, his power, his grace, his mercy, his sufficiency, you join Satan in attacking God's truthfulness. Number two, when you're depressed, when you're anxious, when you're hopeless, you join Satan in declaring that God really can't be trusted. Number three. When Satan generates trouble through persecution and difficulty, he may tempt you to believe that Jesus doesn't really give a rip. He doesn't care about what happens to you. And you couldn't be more wrong. Number four, when you're thrown into the turmoil through doctrinal confusion or even outright lies, when you come and you hear me speak and you hear other people say exactly the opposite, Satan may tempt you to believe That God's word can't be trusted. That you can't really trust your salvation. That you can't trust that the Holy Spirit is at work in in you. In your attitude and in your action. The believer who is ineffective in God's word will be ineffective in their ministry. Number five, Satan will attack you by hindering your fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan opposes every faithful life. Satan opposes every effective ministry. Number six, Satan will attack you by causing divisions. And I believe that this is one reason why Jesus prayed so fervently in John chapter 17, that we would be one as he is one. We need each other and you need each other. And number seven, Satan will attack you by causing you to trust your own feelings and to trust your own resources. Truth is in Christ. Righteousness is in Christ. Peace is in Christ. I want to end with just a quick story. During the medieval ages, before a squire was knighted, he would spend the night in a vigil in a castle. In the castle chapel, he would strip down to his tunic and he would lay his armor before him and he would begin to pray and intercede for every piece of armor. This is the way we're to put on our armor. We strip down to nothing till nothing is left until there's nothing but Jesus. And we put on the truth, which is found in Christ. 
We put on the righteousness which is found in Christ. We put on peace which is found in Christ. It's sometimes difficult to imagine that God wants to use us in the way of war. That God wants to use our hands and our feet for the fight. But we have to allow the truth of his word to tighten our belts. We must allow the righteousness to protect us from the accusations of our enemy and from the fiery darts. And we have to allow his peace to cause us to stand fast in the day of battle. And when the terrifying day comes, the truth of God The righteousness of Christ. The peace of God. Will prove. Certain. In the day of doubt. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father. I pray for each and every man and woman. Lord for many the day of evil has already come. Life has never been harder. The tears have never been saltier. The pain has never been intense. The loneliness has never been more terrifying. And the night's long. Lord, I pray, I pray, I pray for each and every person here. I pray that they would come to the realization (laughs) that Jesus is the full armor. That he is our Christ. That we have all things in him. That we have the victory in Him. That we're able to stand in Him. And Heavenly Father, I pray for that person who is here this morning and they have dropped their belt and they have dropped their sword and they are living a life of lies and rebellion and disobedience and their life is empty and alone. And they need a way to come back. Lord, I pray that you would speak to their hearts even now. Lord, I pray that they would long for truth and they would long for righteousness and they would long for peace and that they could find it in Christ. Is that you? Do you need to have a right relationship with God? It's easy to do. Acknowledge him. Stop running from him. Stop lying. Tell the truth. Embrace the truth that Jesus loves you. You've always known that it was true. Accept it. Is that you? Just slip up your hand and I'll pray for you. You can turn around today. Your life can be different today. Peace. Joy. Is that what you want? You can have it. It's easy. Turn your life over to God. Give yourself to Jesus. Allow Him to be your Lord. Walk in obedience instead of rebellion. Heavenly Father, again, for these who you brought here, Lord, I pray that they would begin to understand the nature of the battle. Lord, we have an adversary, but we have armor. We have an enemy, but we have equipment. You've given us everything that we need in Jesus. I commit all of these men and women to you, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.